are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. 1 Peter 5, 1-11 To the elders and the flock To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, Submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Michelle, thanks for reading for us this morning. This is our last Sunday in 1 Peter before we shift gears and we're going to head into the Gospel of Luke starting next Sunday. But what a blessing it has been to study this letter in Scripture. I have just found it so good and so timely. We have seen the Lord speak to us, hope rising in the middle of 2020. That was our focus. And I just hope you have a sense of peaceful readiness about this back to school season that God has quieted your heart as you have spent time in his word. This last Sunday in 1 Peter, I've entitled our message for today, What Real Strength Looks Like. What real strength looks like. Not only do I find it a fitting description of chapter 5 here in 1 Peter, but I also find it a fitting title for Labor Day weekend. You know, we could ask, what does real strength look like for a nation, for a country? Maybe some of the usual suspects we would look to to measure that would be like GDP. How much money does that nation have? Or to survey the size of its military? Or maybe to number its achievements in science or in medicine? But real strength is perhaps something different. And you'll find it in the everyday fabric of the people. On Labor Day, we remember the importance of the American worker and the millions of Americans who will never make the news, but who have gone to work every day over the history of this country and who work hard. We should remember Labor Day is observed in a lot of countries all over the world. In our own country, it falls on the first Monday of September, and it came to be in the late 1800s. I don't know if you know the story about Labor Day in the United States, but this was at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the U.S., The average American worker at the time was working 12-hour days, seven days a week, no days off, 
and barely making enough money to make ends meet. Working conditions were often unsafe. There was lack of access to fresh air, access to a bathroom, to have a break of any kind. And one of the worst offenses, I think, is that there were five and six-year-old children as young as that age who were put to work in mills and factories and mines all across this country. And it just had to stop and finally did. The people rose up, labor laws were signed, and then by 1894, President Grover Cleveland had made Labor Day this symbolic national holiday to honor the American worker. Real strength is often not found in the flashy places where we would first think to look. And that is certainly the case when it comes to spiritual strength. And so with that in mind, let's turn now to 1 Peter 5 for some final instructions in this letter. It is a quite sizable 11 verses that we have before us today. I think especially on a holiday weekend, let's be honest, the temptation might be there for our eyes to kind of glaze over and we hear the couch calling us or the lakeside hammock or simply to crawl back into bed. But fear not, I have parceled out this text into four more manageable portions. Here is what I think Peter wants to say to us this morning. Something about leadership, something about humility, something about defense, and then finally he closes in doxology. So those are the four simple things we want to look at. Leadership, humility, defense, and doxology. That's our outline for today. We'll also notice as we have in recent weeks, the number of imperatives or commands that shape this text, where it says, do this, do that, don't do that. Things like, more specifically in this text, be shepherds, humble yourselves, be alert and sober-minded, just to name a few of them. But I feel compelled this morning to remind us that the imperatives of Scripture always follow the indicatives And here's what I mean by that. Whether we're reading Peter this morning or reading Paul or James, the New Testament letters will always begin by stating what is true about God and then follow the commands, the imperatives. And they are a response to what we have just learned about God. So in grammatical terms, again, the imperatives follow the indicatives. When I played soccer in high school, the coach would make us do these long runs that we called rock laps. And they got their name because this big, long lap that we would run around several blocks had this elementary school right in the middle. The school is named E.P. Rock. And so that's where it had its name, rock laps. And without warning, sometimes the coach would say to us in the middle of practice, all right, let's run a rock lap and off the team would go. The trouble was you never knew if it was just going to be one rock lap or if you would get back. And I remember sometimes the coach would say, we just get back to the soccer field and he'd say, all right, let's go again. And off you'd go to run another one. These rock laps were never fun. It is certainly not why I signed up to play soccer, but here's why I never questioned the coach's command. Because he had first looked us in the eye and told us that the average soccer player will run about seven miles in a single game. And you had better be in shape. First came the statement of fact. 
and then we were ready for the coach's command. I say this today because I don't want us to read chapter 5 without remembering chapter 1. And I want to just remind us briefly of some of the indicative theological statements that we started with in chapter 1 several weeks ago. So just a few lines, I'm going to pick it up in verse 3 of chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? Statement right there. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And we could keep reading, but you get the idea. These truths are proclaimed in chapter 1, and here we are now all the way in chapter 5, And in response to them, we are called into action. The commands of Scripture are never about badgering us into better behavior, but they are a worshipful response to who God is and what he's made us for. So the first thing Peter says to us now in chapter 5 is going to be about leadership. In verse 1, he addresses the elders of the church. Now, elders often has something to do with age, but here not by necessity. The word here is presbyterus, and it's where we get the word Presbyterian, and the presbyterus of the church are those who are in position of leadership. Usually folks with some years under their belt, but the emphasis is not so much on physical age, but spiritual age. It's a question of maturity. So in our setting, I think of the leadership team of the Y Church. Another term for it would be board of elders, elder board. It's a team in our setting of nine people is what we have serving right now, each serving a three-year term of service. These are spiritual leaders that we have appointed to guide and serve our congregation. And alongside the leadership team, we have our staff team, those who are serving in vocational ministry. And this word from 1 Peter 5 certainly applies to our staff as well. We also have teams that are focused on finance and on personnel, and spiritual maturity and leadership are necessities in these areas. But I want to encourage you this morning to not let the leadership lessons stop just in these formal spheres of service. We recognize that we have spiritual fathers and mothers who have walked with the Lord for many years, and they are certainly elders in the church. There are others who are leading our serving teams as deacons, to use the New Testament language. And these are critical areas of leadership to which these words this morning should apply. So I'd like to encourage you to look for ways to apply these words in your own life and in other places, even outside of church, where you might exercise leadership as a follower of Christ. So your workplace might be somewhere where you are overseeing other people. In your home life, some of you are overseeing little ones and students in your household. I think of our teachers who are exercising leadership, eldership over the students who are in their care. For our young people, 
I know that some of you are in places of leadership on a sports team or a youth group or a music ensemble. You are looked to as a student leader. And here's what Peter says to leaders, to elders in the church. He says in verse two, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He says, be a shepherd. And I read that and I think it sounds so good, but here's the problem. I have never job shadowed a shepherd. So what does a shepherd do? Well, if we take our cues from a place like John 21, the close of John's gospel where Peter is reinstated by Jesus after denying him, I think we see Jesus telling him what this looks like. Jesus says, feed my sheep and tend my flock. The two things that a shepherd does to feed and protect. Wherever you have leadership as a Christ follower, your job is to provide spiritual food and to watch over those who are in your care. This is what the good shepherd does for us. And we in turn, as under shepherds, get to imitate his love, his feeding and protecting to others. Now that's not easy. Leadership is Maybe easy on the easy days, but on the hard days, that's when you see what a leader is made of. And there are a lot of hard days in leadership. It is not for the faint of heart. Leadership will cost you. But Peter says it should not be done as a drudgery. He says in the text, watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, because you are eager to serve. And then Peter says that this great day awaits those who shepherd God's flock. He says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, most adults that I know don't have their childhood trophies or ribbons on display anymore. Those years of track and field, pinewood derbies, piano competitions, Even from high school, the bigger tournaments and the varsity trophies, I don't even know where mine are anymore. They just seem to have faded away with the years. In the Greco-Roman world where Peter was, if you won an athletic competition, you maybe have seen this depicted before, you would get this kind of leafy crown. A crown or a wreath of laurels would be given to you. But that crown of twigs and leaves had an even shorter lifespan than my t-ball trophies. It withered and faded pretty fast. Peter says, though, there is a crown of glory that never fades. And literally what he writes there is, there is an amaranthine crown of glory. It's an interesting Greek vocabulary word. And it's related to the amaranth flower, which was famous for its bright red color that would not fade even when cut. I find that so interesting. Remember the whole context of 1 Peter is one of suffering for Christ. The believers that he's writing to are facing persecution. And who do you think were the first targets of that persecution? It was the leaders. Are you facing significant challenges as a Christian leader? Do not be surprised if you are. And don't give up. Because there is an unfading crown of glory that you will receive from the chief shepherd himself. What a promise. 
What a day that will be. Next, Peter moves into the theme of humility. He's addressed the elders, and now he gives instruction to those who are not. So in verse 5, we read, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. This is a word for those who are younger in years or simply younger in your faith. And I should point out that all of us are younger in our faith compared to somebody. And I hope that even the more spiritually mature among us are still being mentored and discipled by those who are further along. Peter says, submit yourselves to your elders, your spiritual elders. Will you submit yourself to run a lap from someone who is older and wiser than you? Will you allow yourself to be corrected when you have done something wrong? You know, it's one thing to lead, but it is also a critical life quality to be able to be led. None of us are always in the spot where we're calling all the shots. Are we able to accept the leadership of others? I wonder if you can imagine with me what our country would look like if our elected officials were living out these lessons of leadership, humility, and submission. I dare say that we would not recognize the headlines in the news anymore. That's Peter's word to us. Peter then widens the lens and he says in the second half of verse five, all of you, so he's spoken to the elders and the ones who are younger. And then he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now this imperative, clothe yourselves with humility, is not unique to Peter, but the specific way that he says it is. He paints a vivid picture for us by the particular verb that he chooses. It only appears here in the Bible. Literally, he says, to tie on humility. Tie on humility. And scholars believe that the word points to the tying on of a servant's apron. We might think of being in the kitchen and tying on an apron with those long apron strings that wrap around the back. And I imagine Peter, as he selects this word, is remembering how Jesus tied the towel around his waist and picked up the basin and washed his disciples' feet. He says, tie on humility around yourself. And verse 6 brings the next imperative on humility. Peter continues and says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And I want to add to this right away, verse 7, which is such a well-known and powerful verse about anxiety, about worry. In our translation, you see it stands alone. It's its own sentence in verse 7, and it says, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. But the reason I want to add it to verse 6 is because verse 7 is related to it and is not actually its own sentence. It does not say cast. It says in Greek, casting. It's a participle, an ing word that describes what came before it, that is, how we are to humble ourselves. So let me read it together. I think it'll make sense. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So we have this picture of being under God's protective hand, his mighty hand, 
casting our anxiety upon him. I mean, it's really quite the picture that we have here. Under his hand and casting our anxiety on him. Now, I hear the word casting, and, and I don't know what you think, but as a true Minnesotan, I think of fishing. And yet this word only appears in one other spot in the Bible, and it's not on a lake. It's on a donkey. The passage is Luke 19, verse 35, where we find the disciples are casting their cloaks on a donkey for Jesus to ride on. And I just found it so interesting. At first, we might not think that's a very inspiring picture, throwing cloaks on a donkey. You know, the donkey is definitely not the most magnificent of animals in the stable. But let me ask you this. What does a donkey do better than anything else? It carries stuff. It carries things. The donkey is a world-renowned pack animal. And all throughout history, the donkey has been there to carry people's burdens. Are you seeing this picture? We are invited to cast all of our burdens, all of our anxiety, upon God who carries them best. That is the link between humility and casting cares. At first, it seems like this strange kind of combo. You know, we might ask ourselves, why would casting our anxiety on God have anything to do with humility? And I want to tell you how one First Peter commentator, Thomas Schreiner, answered this question. I thought he put it better than anybody else. He says, worry is a form of pride. Now he's answering the question. Because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all of the problems in their lives in their own strength. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all of life. That's how they're connected. So I encourage you to, to memorize 1 Peter 5, 7, especially this year, cast all your cares upon God for he cares for you. Uh, what a statement in 2020. But I want you to also remember that your casting is tied to your humbling under the mighty hand of God. Peter says that when you hide yourself there under his mighty hand, that he will lift you up in due time. With that and with time running away from us this morning, we're going to move to our third heading in these verses. Peter speaks next to the importance of defense. Defense is our third heading. It was college football coach Bear Bryant who famously said, offense sells tickets Defense wins championships. And Peter here gives us a staccato imperative about defense. He says, verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. That's it. Boom. Be alert and sober-minded. Other translations say words like be watchful, be vigilant. And why is that? We read the very next sentence. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We had a neighbor tell us just a few weeks ago that he'd seen this huge coyote a couple of times at night slinking around in the dark. He'd come home late from work and, and he'd see this coyote in his headlights. And he told us because, you know, he said you should keep a, an extra eye out for your dog. And I took his words to heart. 
I mean, I don't think our little 23-pound beagle would fare very well against the big coyote. So now when I take him out before bed, I always have our dog on a leash. And we're out there and just I'm scanning the tree line and looking into the dark for this coyote that could be out there, prowling, just waiting for something to devour. Now, generally, in modern times, people might hear this about the devil and think, really? I mean, come on, Ethan. You really believe that the devil exists? To which the sober-minded, Bible-reading person says, yes, yes. And frankly, I don't know how you process some of the horrible things that we see happening in our world in the general sense of chaos in our culture, morally and socially, without calculating the existence of spiritual warfare. One scholar, uh, J.B. Russell, I thought had such an insightful line when he said, there is an increasing sense that the destructive impulses of humanity may be intractable. There is a real spiritual enemy of the soul named Satan who stands in opposition to God and to you who would follow him. And you look at the contrast we have here. Uh, God is one who cares and comforts and sustains. Satan terrifies and devours. And he uses suffering. It's the link now to our context in 1 Peter. He uses suffering to roar at believers and to get you to cower and run from your faith. But since the cross, he has been a wounded lion. He was struck a fatal blow by Jesus Christ, who came to expose and destroy his work. Romans says, I I forgot this line until I was reading this week. Romans 16 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. But for now, He's still on the prowl. So Peter tells us, be alert and be sober-minded. And in verse 9, he continues and he says, resist him and stand firm in the faith. In other words, we're told to fight back against Satan. Be alert, be clear-minded, and when you see that prowling lion, we'll fight him. It's the strong word of scripture here. And you know what our weapon is that we take into that battle? It's just like David, in fact. It's faith. It's not the slingshot itself, but we fight with a firm and settled faith. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, take up the shield of faith with which you can do what? He says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Well, we're out of time. (laughs) As I look at the clock ticking here, but I do want to close with doxology. I said that's the fourth of those headings which we outlined the text. So we had leadership, humility, defense, and now doxology. And instead of expounding on this text, what I'd like to do is just speak it over you as a blessing and a very fitting conclusion to our summer in First Peter. May the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, After you have suffered a little while, may he himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever.
Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.